Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where who cares if the Lakers just signed a fifth guard and somehow continue to keep getting shorter and shorter? Because at the end of the day, all that really matters is the Lakers just got a lot more tougher. That's so tougher. 100 emoji, flames emoji, Dennis Schroeder, the $82 million fumbled man is back, just like we all expected. So I mentioned in our Patrick Beverly reaction podcast that one of the main reasons I got behind the trade for Patrick Beverly so quickly was because it likely meant that Westbrook would be out the door and that the Lakers also wouldn't have to pivot to signing Dennis Schroeder because it would make no sense. Well, joke's on me, joke's on us, because we now have all three of them. Westbrook, Pat Bev, and Dennis Schroeder. It's lit all. <laughs> I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And Tommy, if you had to take a guess, what would you say is Rob Palenka's favorite all-time movie? Rob Palenka's favorite all-time movie, uh, Get Shorty. <laughs> Very nice. We were we were close. Um, it's actually The Big Short, kind of a more recent <laughs> go, movie, yeah. but no, same sort of vein. Ao, ao. Uh, well, Tommy, Dennis the Menace is back. That's tough. But the true menace may be the Lakers' decision makers up top, who continue to operate in such a strange, haphazard, uncoordinated manner. Just two weeks out from training camp. But maybe it'll all make sense to us soon, we hope. But maybe not, because on Wednesday, Rob Palenka and Darvin Ham will be talking to the media five days before the rest of the team talks to the media. And if you're reading the tea leaves, usually teams don't do that if they're still working on trades and transactions. So who knows? But anyways, um, without going into too many details, to start off, Tommy, what was your initial vibe check reaction to 
the Lakers signing Schroeder to this $2.6 million veteran minimum contract, about $78 million less than what they had offered him about a year and a half ago. But Dennis Schroeder is back. And so what was your initial thought when you saw that come across the timeline or you saw my text breaking the news to you? Uh, my initial reaction was like, what? Um, because I, I honestly, that's been like the reaction to many of our signings this off season, but it just doesn't really seem to make sense. Um, it, we seem to be adding, I mean, it's sort of like, it's becoming a little disheartening at this point because it seems to be right. Like the strategy is sort of the same as like our strategy last year, like sign a bunch of sort of flawed players that couldn't stick on other teams and flawed and also redundant players. And mm -hmm. like, just being like, you know what? We, we signed all these guys who sort of do the same thing. Let's make them come to training camp and fight each other to the death for like the few minutes that we have at these positions. And we sort of saw how that worked out last year. And I'm not feeling like much more optimistic about how it's going to work out this year. Yeah. So my first visceral, visceral thought was, uh, okay, fine. Um, and then my second thought after that was, at least this means surely, surely now Russell Westbrook is gone, right? And then after that, after a couple of seconds later, I then remembered who runs our front office and <laughs> how I've been saying surely Russ is going to be gone now, like five or six times since last trade deadline back in February and January and how none of that has happened yet. And my next reaction was to just like cackle in sad resignation at the absolute lunacy of this Lakers roster as it stands right now. And it almost became one of those, you know, you just throw your hands up. Of course they did. All you can do is laugh sort of deals for me. That, that was my main sentiment after the Schroeder thing. And that's not because... Dennis Schroeder is necessarily a bad player, but just in the current context of this Lakers roster and what we've had to endure this entire offseason, it's felt like two months of stagnation and Westbrook seemingly looking like he's headed to training camp after two and a half months of trying to get rid of these, this guy of all this random drama with him not saying hi to LeBron James at Summer League, his drama with his agent, and this isn't even talking about his exit interview where he threw everybody under the bus, including the Lakers organization. Like, all of that is baked into my reaction of just sort of sadly laughing and saying, of course, you know? Um, and with Westbrook now looking like he's headed to training camp, <laughs> I think for me also, just just thinking about us having all three of these guys just boggles my mind because I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's very ironic to me because when we first traded for Westbrook, uh, I remember justifying that trade by saying that the Westbrook experience can't be any worse than the Schroeder experience the last year for me personally. And then of course Westbrook turned out to be way worse than the Dennis Schroeder experience. And now that we've re-signed Schroeder, I'm justifying it by saying, well, there's no way it can be any worse than the Westbrook experience. 
but what happens when the Westbrook experience is still here? <laughs> so how does right. that work? Um, anyways, uh, before we move on any further with our episode, if we could please ask you guys to take a moment to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app, that would be amazing. If you don't use the Apple Podcast app or if you've already rated us on there, then please head on over to your Spotify app and tap the five-star button at the top of our Spotify page. We're trying to hit 50 Spotify stars before training camp, and I believe we're like eight or nine five-star ratings away from that goal. So if you could please take 15 seconds out of your day to do that, we'd very much appreciate it. Um, With each new five-star rating we get, that is an extra inch that we will be adding on to the next player the Lakers plan on signing. So if you already know that the Lakers are probably going to sign someone who's 6'3", then we need at least, I don't know, six more inches, six more five stars uh, to make sure that that person gets elevated to a 6'9 height. None of what I just said makes any sense, but please go to Spotify and give us five stars is what I'm trying to say. All right. So for the rest of today's episode, we will talk about what we think about Dennis Schroeder in a vacuum and how he may help this team as well, and mainly whether we can make sense out of anything the Lakers front office is doing slash not doing this offseason as it pertains to how the roster currently stands. Um, Tommy, before we dive into Schroeder's game again, the pros, the cons, and what we hope out of him during this second go-around, let's talk about Schroeder from a macro sense in relation to this team since that's sort of how we started this episode off with. Um... So we'll add all the caveats up front and say, yeah, the Lakers may not be done. There could be a consolidation trade coming that will make this roster make a little bit more sense. Order of operations may be a little wonky at the moment, but when everything is done in totality, that's when everything makes more intuitive sense. So we'll add all those caveats saying we don't know the full scope of everything. Consolidation trade may happen before training camp, although that's seeming less and less likely, or it may happen throughout the season, but this is probably not the final roster. But with that said, yeah, what do you think of this roster now with Dennis Schroeder? I mean, you already gave it away. It doesn't make sense, but help me make sense of this. Um, let me lay out to you what we have right now. Um, <laughs> do I have to hear it? <laughs> You do. Okay. Well, okay. So I'll start off by saying that there is a scenario out there that if the Lakers can actually put pull it off, where Schroeder's acquisition actually makes a lot of sense. And it's the mythical Indiana package, the Indiana Pacers package. So in a deal where Westbrook and maybe Max Christie or Kendrick Nunn go out the door and Buddy Heald and Miles Turner and even, Dennis, and even um, Daniel Tice come in, well then, that backup point guard spot is perfectly filled with Dennis Schroeder. And that's where his skills as a primary initiator are actually needed off the bench, or maybe even starting. Plus, his defensive tenacity would help in any lineup alongside a Buddy Heald and a Miles Turner. But that Indiana Pacers scenario at this point seems like a legendary folktale, whether it's because Indiana is not willing to actually deal Miles Turner to the Lakers or because the Lakers just don't want to put their two firsts on the table, period. I personally think it's more of the latter, but regardless, let's take a look at this roster as it currently stands. So here are our guards. Actually, I'm not going to go through the whole roster. I'm just going to give you the guards. Um, Guys who are 6'4 and under, we have Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn, Russell Westbrook, Dennis Schroeder, Lonnie Walker. 
Those are five guys, six, four, and under, who are all <sighs> guards, combo guards, yada, yada. Now, for the slightly taller six foot six and under guys who also can handle the ball a little bit, we've got Austin Reeves, Troy Brown Jr., and for some reason, Max Christie. <laughs> okay? Uh, we also, for some reason, have 6'3", Scottie Pippen Jr. on a two-way contract because he'll surely make the team and be a valuable contributor to this roster who already has eight guards. We might have six-point guard injuries, don't forget. That's true. And 6'5", Javante McCoy is also on an Exhibit 10 contract coming to training camp with us because I guess he'll play power forward for the B team or whatever. I don't know. Anyways... All that to say, that Exhibit 10 spot, that two-way contract, all these spots could have gone to a Bruno Caboclo, a Yuto Watanabe, who are both non-guaranteed contracts, PJ Dozier, also non-guaranteed training camp invite, Josh Jackson, Jarrett Culver, pretty much anyone six, eight or taller, but no, we have Javante McCoy, Scottie Pippen Jr., Max Christie, etc., etc. Um, even the training camp invites don't make any sense, but... With regards to the actual players on the main roster, Pat Bev, Nunn, Westbrook, Schroeder, Lonnie Walker, Reeves, Troy Brown, Max Christie. That is eight guards slash combo guards on this team who are 6'6 six, six and under. Um, Troy Brown being the only one out of that group who's 6'6 six, six, who can maybe legitimately play up a position. Mark Stein has also just recently reported that Russell Westbrook is likely coming to training camp with the team. That's been all the more solidified by the fact that Rob Palink and Darvin Ham are going to have this intro press presser on Wednesday to address the media. I mean, if I had to guess, it's to pretty much tell everybody that this is the roster and that Russell Westbrook will be a Laker. Uh, maybe not as blatant as that, but along those same lines. Um, but yeah, in Mark Stein's report, he mentioned that Westbrook is not only coming to training camp, but that the Lakers plan to play some of these guys up defensively as wings so Austin Reeves Troy Brown Jr. maybe even Lonnie Walker you will guard Paul George now and you will guard Jason Tatum now good luck Um, and overall they're essentially banking on Pat Bev's tenacious defense to buoy the rest of these small dudes and make them taller than they actually are somehow (laughs) but will it all work Um, so Tommy yeah talking about the roster in general and even while understanding that additional moves could be made if we're reading the sentiment and what's going on about recent reports and the upcoming presser it seems like this is the roster uh for next week because lebron james mini training camp is going to happen this weekend and then next week is media day as we head into training camp so what do you make of this roster full of guards it makes no sense to me i i think that Actually, okay, I'll give one caveat. It kind of makes sense if you remove Russ from this team. And that's the crazy thing about this roster that we've put together is it makes zero sense, you know, if you just look at the 1 through 14 that we have committed right now. If you remove Russ, even if you don't replace him with another player, it actually kind of makes a little bit of sense And like in terms of what they were trying to do. I mean... There are certain glaring weaknesses. Like, we did not at all address our shooting problems. I don't know why there were all those rumors for months floating around that, you know, the Lakers weren't concerned about with their first batch of free agent signings that none of those guys can shoot. 
because they felt that they could address their shooting concerns via trade. That clearly has not happened. I mean, was Pat Bev like an, a shooting upgrade over THT? Sure, but we're weak across the board as a shooting team. All that said, our guard rotation, when you remove Russ altogether, makes a lot more sense than what we had last year. You know what I mean? Like we have Dennis Schroeder, Patrick Beverly, and Austin Reeves, who were three like pretty feisty defenders in the backcourt and could defend the point of attack. Kendrick Nunn, if he's healthy, can give you a little bit of shooting. You know, there is some complementary, you know, there are some complementary pieces sort of happening there, right? I think like, uh, you know, Schroeder can play more with Reeves, or Schroeder can play with Reeves because, you know, uh, Schroeder's more of like a ball handling, like attack the rim type of point guard. I think none could play with any of those guys because he's more of a combo guard who can shoot. And, you know, the other guys offer more defense. Um, you can think of some options that work there. Even Lonnie Walker, who I'm not super high on this year, but like if you slot him in as that like six four athletic, you know, kind of upswing young potential player, like he sort of slots in into where we sort of thought THT might fit on this roster as like the fifth rotation guard. Mm-hmm. But that's all viewing this in a vacuum, right? Like Wait, the reality can I add is something? We, it, yeah, it's, it's yeah. also, it's also viewing it as if it's viewing it in a vacuum, but it's also viewing these guys as if they're robots right. and as if they don't know that there are also six other guards that they're going to have to compete with. And on the one end, you want to say that, yeah, look, all these guys are on expiring deals. They're fighting for their NBA lives and they will give it their all and leave it all out on the floor, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's all well and good, especially at the start. But what happens midway through the season when three of these guys are only getting 10 minutes and they're like, what the fuck? You know, sorry, (laughs) like what the hell? And look at the record, our record as well. And we're five games below 500. Like the sentiment, to me, it seems like such a combustible situation, even though... And I mean, I was going to say, even though the the players, uh, the personalities aren't combustible, but then I was like, wait, what am I talking about? Westbrook, Patrick Beverly, and Dennis Schroeder are on this team. So, I mean, just to add on to your point, it's like, these guys aren't robots. Yes, it makes a little bit more sense if you take Westbrook out of the equation and you can shuffle in like, okay, if you can just robotically say this guy gets 15 minutes, this guy gets 20 minutes, et cetera, et cetera, that makes sense. But that t- leaves out the fact that these guys want their fair share of time on the court and it's they're just realistically not going to get it whether you're young whether you're old all these guys are fighting for their NBA lives and it still doesn't justify giving the full mid-level to Lonnie Walker this offseason right if anything it makes it even less sense that we did that and we actually hinted at this like on the day that we signed Lonnie Walker and it makes even less sense that we drafted Max Christie it makes even less sense that there's a two-way guy in 6'3", Scottie Pippen Jr. But go on ahead about what you were going to say uh, with regards to this being in a vacuum. Yeah, so I, and I mean, these are all good points, but that's like the sad thing about this roster is like when you kind of squint your eyes and tilt your head and really think about it, remove a lot of environmental context, you can sort of see maybe what they were going for, but the elephant in the room is Russ. Like, you have... 96 backcourt backcourt minutes between the two positions. And I just listed four guys who, I don't know, I assume they're going to be thinking they're going to be playing at least 20 minutes, you know, or so a game. I mean, Austin Reeves was like our third best player, fourth best player last year, maybe, you know. So 
you know, it, it just, it doesn't really, to me, make sense how Russ is going to fit in here. I mean, clearly what it seems like somebody at the, or, you know, at the front office highest level has decided that without, even if we just John Wall Russ and, and just send him home and get nothing back for him, our roster this year is probably better than the roster we had last year. But yeah. You know, so I guess the thinking is let's see if we can try to fit the, you know, square peg into the round hole or however you want to say it. But again, again, but and for some reason, like Ham is going to be this new voice that's somehow going to fix all of this. But but I think what's being ignored, right, is that like you can't. The Rockets could John Wall, John Wall, because they were a rebuilding tanking team. Mm hmm. We're like trying to win games and we're trying to, you know, build chemistry and cohesion as we've seen, you know, year after year with every team that wins a championship. It's not just literal talent. We're not just plugging these guys into a simulation and whoever has the highest net rating like wins, right? It, there's a lot of factors, namely chemistry and cohesion that develop over the course of an 82 game season. And if we spend a quarter of the season, which we're not going to spend less than, a, I guarantee it's going to be at least 20 games trying to get Russ to fit with these other guys, like with the rest of this roster, including bringing him off the bench where he's only playing 15 to 20 minutes a game and all these other sorts of things. That's a huge waste of time that is going to have long lasting impacts on the entire season. We've seen it every year since we won the championship. You know, these guys say one thing and do another thing and, Oh, you know, we're going to take it. Uh, you know, every, every game is like getting better and, you know, preparing for the end of the season. And then they come out and just like lay eggs and nobody wants to play like every night. Right. So it, it just, it, I feel like this front office and this new coaching staff, I, I guess I shouldn't bring in the whole staff, but the, this new head coach um, that we have, it, it all just sort of feels like what has been said the last few seasons where, you know, it's a lot of like, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And, We've talked a lot of, on this podcast about like putting your money where your mouth is and and stuff like that, and it doesn't feel like these guys want to do it. I mean, even the same the the whole narrative of like Darvin Ham is preaching this defensive mindset and defensive culture as though like two of Frank Vogel's three years here we weren't like top three and literally number one. You know what I mean? The year after we won the championship, and then top three the year before when we did win the championship like you know by far number one in the bubble etc cetera, etc cetera. like just like as though we were coming off of mike d'antoni being our coach and being like you know now we're gonna have an emphasis on defense we literally had like a guy who almost to a fault was like focused on defense and and so it it just feels like this like disingenuine like just sort of like, I don't know what you want to call it, like fans speak. Like we're catering to the lowest common denominator of fans who don't really understand what's going on. And if we just use these buzzwords like defense and like grit and like, you know, show that uh, x-ray of somebody's chest that has like a little dog in it. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's got that dog in him, you know, and, and that's going to be satisfactory to Laker fans. That's sort of what it feels like they're trying to like pull the curtain over on us and we're, and we're just like along for the ride and we're just supposed to accept it. So, Whoa, dude. Spoiler alert. I haven't seen Wednesday's press conference yet, but I feel like you just spoiled all of it. 
because <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. you, you know that's what they're going to say. Um, yeah, so I have a lot more thoughts, and I want to uh, touch upon this Ru- uh, Russell Westbrook wait-and-see approach, but let's take it to break first, and when we get back, more on the front office and what the hell they're doing, the Westbrook wait-and-see approach, and we'll also get into Dennis Schroeder's acquisition in a vacuum. So we will catch you guys after the turn. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, so we're back, and a recent athletic article came out from Sam Amick and I think Jovan Buha um, that pretty much said the Lakers are going to take a wait-and-see approach, and given Wednesday's presser with Ham and Palenka, I'm led to believe that that's exactly what they're going to do, and maybe trade negotiations have ground to a halt. Um, Pretty much to piggyback off of what you said initially about how Russ being on this team is just a waste of time. It's not only a waste of time, but keeping Russ just dilutes the positives of every helpful player you signed and brought in this offseason. Why would you want to do that? So it's a waste of time for everybody involved, and at best, it's middlingly inconsequential if Russ actually buys in, you know? Like, even in the best-case scenario where, where Russ is even accepts a bench roll, uh, and Schroeder and Pat Bev are balling out, and he's okay with that, and he's still willing to do the little things when he comes in, and he's actually playing good defense or more aware defense— what is what is the best case scenario for the Lakers there? Like a middling Western Conference team who I, I think will still jump at the first chance to trade Westbrook if a deal comes along midseason. And when you do that, what was the point of trying to make Westbrook work during the first half of the season if you know you're going to trade him anyways midseason? You know, it's like we're just wasting people's time in terms of guys should be eating up these Westbrook minutes, you know? Because of all the guards we have, eight guards to be exact, again, like Austin Reeves could use a full slew of minutes. Troy Brown Jr. could use minutes with Anthony Davis. Like, you can't possibly... It's so funny to me when when the Dennis Schroeder trade happened, or sorry, the Dennis Schroeder acquisition, and his agent came out and said, you know, Schroeder had other deals on the table, but he wanted to return to the Lakers because the Lakers told him there will be plenty of minutes available for everybody. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, yeah. how objectively can you make that statement? Again, going back to this being so futile, we're just messing up any chance of synergy and continuity that can be gained during the start of this season by trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, by trying to see whether the juice is worth the squeeze. It is not. And by midseason, we may have to John Wall, Russell Westbrook anyways, or we may have to trade him anyways and undo and pretty much come to the conclusion that, yeah, we just wasted the first half of the season. And look, let's let's look at the best case scenario with Darvin Ham being able to get through to Russell Westbrook, everybody staying healthy, LeBron James and uh, Anthony Davis playing at uh, MVP level, both of them, and all of the supplementary guys being content with their role roles and you know being the best versions of themselves the chances of that happening it's possible right it's it's possible just like anything can happen anything is possible like kevin garnett said but given the years of data we have to work with regarding russell westbrook 
Given the years of data we have in the NBA and basketball in general, understanding that you need tall players to win basketball games, given LeBron James and Anthony Davis's brittle injury history the last couple years with the Lakers, and given, as I mentioned, the wonky construction of your roster and the lack of wing size you have, even if there is a small chance that this may work out, for me, it's like, why would you take that small gamble and risk? To me, that's just bad process, given everything you know and the last season that you underwent and looking at the small timeline and short window that LeBron James and Anthony Davis have. To me, it's just unnecessarily playing with fire and you are quite frankly asking for it. You're asking to be disappointed, wishing and hoping that Ham pulls out the best case scenario of Westbrook from a hat, you know? So anything else to say on the Westbrook wait and see approach outside of the fact that you also know that this likely means Westbrook is on for the rest of the year because trying to trade a $47 million contract midseason just logistically is so hard to do. Yeah, there were no, I mean, on that last point, like no Westbrook trade during the season really makes sense because there's three options, right? There's Westbrook expectedly, I guess let's start from the most optimistic. Westbrook actually is playing really well, surprisingly. Then obviously you're going to keep him. You're, he's an expiring contract and you're making a push to potentially win a championship. And if he's playing really well, you keep him. Westbrook is playing like sort of mediocre or, or like, you know, expectedly Westbrook is playing poorly. You know, if he's playing mediocrely, like there's no trade out there. Like a team trying to get him, presumably, wants him to try to see if that mediocre play will be the incremental boost they need to, you know, have success. No team in that situation is going to have $47 million of expiring contracts like mid-season that they're just willing to dump on us. And keep in mind, not only does it have to be $47 million, but it has to be $47 million expiring because we're very likely, unless it's a star, like not going to take on long-term money is what it sounds mm-hmm. like. And then if Westbrook sucks, you're in an even worse position than you're, you're in now, right? Because your assets haven't improved. Other teams' assets haven't improved. And you're going to still end up paying somebody, you know at least one, if not multiple first round picks to like dump Russ's salary at that point still. So a Russ trade to me, like if it doesn't happen in the next two days, just looking at the calendar, like, (laughs) which seems like that's not going to happen at this point. Like it doesn't really make sense, but I mean, you know, it, nothing that this front office has done makes sense. And I feel like, you know, all this doubling down on him being like the Russ whisperer, whatever is, it's just like, it feels like a slight against our championship coach and Frank Vogel, who, like, look, we had our issues with Frank Vogel. Like, you and I both talked ad nauseum on this podcast about questionable decisions he made or things that he did with the roster, rotations that we didn't agree with, and giving certain guys looks and freezing out other guys and whatever. We had, like, a lot to say about this guy. But... We still appreciate that he took, you know, our first two seasons, his first two seasons here, he took our roster and he made it a elite defensive team that was going to be competitive every night solely on defense. Left some stuff to be desired offensively, but at least he hung his hat on that. And to like just bring in this new guy who's never coached, I mean, like I have very high hopes for him, but he's never been a head coach. That's the reality, right? And you know, if you want to con- compare this to like the NFL or like compare across leagues, like I'm a Packers fan, and for you know the last three plus years, the Packers have had an elite offense, and 
there was this big stink was made over the off season about how their offensive coordinator was hired to be the head coach of the Broncos. And you know, that, that the rumors they were trying to get Rogers together and all this stuff, right. And all these high hopes for what the Broncos were going to look like this season. And the guy has been a huge whiff so far as like a head coach. And that's not to say he's not going to improve, but my point is it seems so crazy to be coming into the season with the mindset of, all these things have to, not only do these things that we sort of have context for have to hit exactly right, but all these black boxes that we have no context for also have to hit exactly right. Like, Well, sorry, not not only that, but they're asking Darvin Ham to fix their biggest problem from last, from last season. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. insane. Why would you it's set insane. somebody up like that? Yeah, and like you can have as many quote unquote advisors as you want. Okay, Phil Jackson hasn't coached in over a decade. Like, sure, he can advise you on who is a, would be a good head coach. Kurt Rambis hasn't been involved in coaching in over a decade. Sure, he can advise you on why he thinks Ham would be a head coach, but a good head coach. Even if those guys want to give that advice, those guys have coached NBA teams before. Darvin Ham has never coached NBA teams. To con- to say that like this new guy can come in and just fix all this stuff as a first year head coach, I mean, you're just not setting this guy up for failure. I think you know one of the things that drew me the most to Darvin was like this movement towards using former players to sort of a, a, a you know. Uh, become more relatable to like the guys on your on your roster. It seems like that's worked in a few circumstances, most notably last season with the Boston Celtics, right? And they kind of had immediate success. Their roster was not as flawed as our roster, right? Mm-hmm. Like they had some few things they needed to tweak, but they had elite players. Like we have these huge and by the way, the issues they did have, like dumping Kemba Walker to get Al Horford for like a player that just sort of made more sense. They weren't like that was sort of viewed as a dump of Kemba Walker, right? They weren't even viewing that as like, oh, we're affirmatively acquiring Al Horford. It was just sort of like, well, I guess this contract is shorter. Like, let's just see. Maybe this makes more sense on the roster. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up being like one of their best players in the playoffs last year. Right. You know, it's like, so they did make moves still. And for our guys to be like, no, actually, the only problem last year was Han, or excuse me, Vogel. And then like, you know, Ariza and Kent Bazemore were too old. Like that. So he replaced them with younger versions. The craziest part to me is they sat there and saw Russell Westbrook throw fire pretty much to everybody in the organization, including LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but mostly the coach. And they saw him throw everybody under the bus. And all of their actions, by keeping him here, I understand their limitations with teams not wanting to trade with them, yada, yada. But Tommy, how long has Rob Palinka had to devise a Russell Westbrook trade and plan out plans A through Z, Z A, Z B, Z C? You know what I mean? I mean, He's, realistically, he, right? Since the trade deadline of last year, and that's how like, does he not have a pivot move at this? Yeah, point? and that's the crazy thing, right? Because the trade de- the rumors were from the trade deadline of last year. The only offers we were getting were salary dump type offers where we weren't really getting players and teams wanted multiple for, you know, or teams wanted our first and blah, blah, blah. And our whole argument, like, I mean, it literally leaked at the time. And that's like, that became our talking point was like, as much as painful as these next couple of months are going to be, it is probably objectively better to just keep Russ wait till he becomes an expiring contract and wait until our second first rounder in 2029 becomes eligible to be traded. And then we will probably have much better options to move him. 
And when those options sort of arose, it just very quickly became a backtrack into, well, these don't really make us contenders necessarily. And it's like, but why are we supposed to take your word for what makes us a contender? Like, you guys thought last season's roster was going to be a contender. And, you know, it was not even close. I mean, it wasn't even a contender, a serious contender for a playoff spot. And, you know, this whole, yeah, I I don't know. We can rehash and rehash, but you you get my point. No, I do get your point, and it's all the more frustrating for me because, you know, this was the offseason that, you know, Palinka really had to prove himself to us, and I liked how he puffed his chest out at the beginning after the first slew of signings, after signing, you know, Damon Jones, Thomas Bryant. Like, those signings in a vacuum were all great. It was refreshing, right? We said as much. And then... Rob, per- Rob Palinka said the magic words we wanted to hear because even with all those signings being good in a vacuum, the elephant in the room was still there, Russell Westbrook, and he immediately devalues everybody around your team because you have to work everything around how to fit him into your scheme. And Rob Palinka assuaged our fears by saying, we're not done yet, there are still moves to be made. And him and Jeannie doubled down on that statement, right? And obviously, technically, they made moves, but these were not the moves fans were expecting. We did not expect to get shorter. We got better defense, yes, but we did not expect to get shorter, not improve our shooting. We improved slightly, like you mentioned, but not to the extent that we needed to improve. And we did not expect to not have a trade lined up for Russell Westbrook because during that time where we just fiddled around, fiddled with our fingers or whatever, I know they weren't doing that. I know they were trying to work trades or whatever. Like, versatile forwards who I know are only 14th, 15th men, like Isaiah Roby, who we could have claimed, Eurobasket Finals MVP Juancho Hernan Gomez, Utah Watanabe, like actual forwards who can help you, who would actually fit with what Darvin Ham wants to do and their ethos as players who are hard-nosed, gritty, you know, put your head down and do the work. That's Juancho Hernan Gomez. That's Yuta Watanabe. That's even Isaiah Roby. All these guys could have made better sense, you know, like, but we lost out on them because we needed to wait to sign Dennis Schroeder, you know? Yeah, and by the way, this has been like a recurring theme, right? It's like not just this offseason, but like, that was sort of like the theme of last season. I don't know if you folks remember at this point, because most of us probably blacked that out, right? But when the season started, we were thin at the wing position, particularly defensively. And we knew going into the season that Ariza was going to miss a significant amount of time. And by the way, he was 36. So like when he came back, he knew what it was going to look like, right? And what did, we, what did we say when that happened? We said, surely they will get a wing now. Oh, exactly. That's 100% <laughs> what we said. And that's why we kept the 14 guys instead of 15 guys. So we would have that flexibility. And, and what, what happened? Weeks and weeks and weeks went by and we never signed anyone to address this problem. And, you know, it just, we kept kicking the can and kicking the can and kicking the can. Eventually it got so bad that we signed Stanley, who ended up being like one of our best rotation players. Oh, you, you totally forgot that we signed somebody. We signed Avery Bradley. That's right. We signed Avery Avery Bradley. Bradley. That's right. And we never just, we never took any steps to address any of the problems for wing depth. And, and so it's like, and, and But it was always under this guise of like, well, we who knows what will become available. And it's just like, how oft, how many times are you going to do that? You know, by the way, here's like another hidden thing. 
and a hidden problem with keeping Russ, right? It's like if you are in this team or on this uh, creating this impression of your team publicly that this is a toxic environment, good luck getting free agents who get waived around the trade deadline to like come sign with you. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. uh, these ring chaser types who are looking for like a role on a playoff team. Like you're not going to be able to get that if you have LeBron Russ and AD with this weird like friction at the top and then a bunch of other like clutch clients who were just floating there um, because this was the best offer they could get to be on the team, you know? So it, it just, there's just problems across the board and this idea that like, well, we'll, you know, we'll stay flexible and see what happens. And Jeannie's whole attitude about like, you know, I want to give the big three a chance to see what they could do. They played, by the way, I know it was like broken up, they practiced all last offseason, right? We had Russ at, like, the trade deadline, and there were, like, videos and pictures of him and LeBron and, you know, guys working out at the facility in the offseason. They had the benefit of LeBron's little mini camp. They had the benefit of a full training camp, which was horrible, horrifically mismanaged. They had the, uh, you know, over the course of the season, yes, it was disjointed, but they did play a quarter of the season's games together. And in that that sample size, which is not that small, they were horrific, okay? And they had a bunch of wins against scrub teams. And in the games that mattered the most, they were, like, not even competitive with, like, 10 seeds. So, like, what are you looking for? And, and the fact that, like, the fact that, you know, it's still... Uh, a question of like, well, let's just see that. It's just like so disturbing. Well, to me, the, the the most hilarious part about this is the one time you decide to wait and see about something, it's not the Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell, Mark Gasol, number one Lakers team that actually had a legitimate excuse of injuries. You decided to blow that up and move off of Alex Caruso and Kyle Kuzma. You didn't want to wait and see that season. But yeah. now, after having a season where we clearly, very clearly saw that this doesn't work, this is when you apply the wait and see slogan? How does that make any sense whatsoever? And you know, you know what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to. You mentioned that any trade that happens involving Russell Westbrook is likely not going to happen because he's making such a big amount of money. And if if there is a deal to be had, you're going to have to take someone who's making that same amount or who's on for more than this next year. And you know what they're banking on, right? They're hoping to either revisit the Kyrie Irving trade with the 2027 first, the 2029 first, or they're hoping Damian Lillard gets pissed off with the Portland Trailblazers. They're hoping Bradley Beal gets disenfranchised with the Washington Wizards. And that's when they'll hopefully come in and, and, finally give up those two first because in their eyes those are the moves that will take them to the next level but how realistic is that are those actually going to happen though so we're just going to waste our time hoping those things happen and so and and some people have have told me that you know palinka this offseason was trying to make moves happen i i don't doubt that at all but to me my whole point is He's had enough time to come up with plans A through Z. And the teams who we can trade with have never... We've known who those teams are since pretty much April, before the season even ended, right? So obviously the front office should know who those teams are as well. We should have different configurations with each team for a trade involving Russell Westbrook, 
for one pick, for two picks, for no picks, where we take back longer-term salary? How is it that our final conclusion was, we're just going to keep Russell Westbrook and wait and see? Unless plan B or plan C was always to just keep Russell Westbrook and hire a coach who would make us look good about our very poor decision that could end up being the worst trade in Lakers history, which I think it personally is, but I think they're trying now to to see if Darvin Ham can help make it look a little bit better. So before we talk about Schroeder to end this episode, Tommy, I just want to, can you just let the audience know that we weren't always like this about Rob Palenka? Because I feel like if you just jumped into this podcast listening to us like the last year or so, you're like, damn, you guys like don't give this dude the benefit of the doubt. Like what's up with that? And blah, 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 blah. I will say this wasn't always the case. And uh, do you want to tell the audience about like how much benefit of the doubt you actually gave Palenka when all this first started? I don't know. Are you thinking of something specific or should I? <laughs> I mean, you mentioned that you followed his career and you actually, when he first came with the Lakers. You mean like when, like, he yeah. fir- when all this first started with him joining the team? Yeah. I mean, we actually, def- we, we profusely defended this dude during like the year before the championship, yes. during the championship year, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So Rob has like, I don't know. I thought that the Lakers, right, the the move to sign Rob Palenka to me felt like a move to get in line with the times. These, This is not like the same professional sports landscape, just generally, certainly not even the same NBA management landscape that was, you know, in place when Jeannie's dad was running the Lakers. Things have changed, right? It's not about getting guys who are former players and who have 30 years of experience under their belt to run operations. You're seeing it across sports. Young guys with maybe, you know, more agent side experience or more business side experience generally, like with, you know, with respect to the league, were coming in and sort of like making really loud names for themselves. You saw it obviously in the NBA. The most notable ones are like the Sam Prestes and the Daryl Morey's and, you know, guys like that. And, and you saw it, you saw it with Bob Myers, who was a former agent and came into the Warriors and, and turned things around there uh, pretty substantially. And so when we made this move with Rob, I was like, you know, this is a very educated guy. I mean, he was graduated, I think, in the top 10% of his class at Michigan Law School, which wow. is very impressive. You know, he went to go work in one of these like big corporate New York law firms after law school before he pivoted into sports agency, right? And he was a guy that Kobe Bryant trusted enough to leave Arn Tellum um, and go with Rob as like his, his agent and Kobe, we all know how like meticulous he was. Right. So all these factors just sort of suggested that like Rob was the right guy for the job. It seemed like a big leap forward in time from like the Mitch Kupchak, like Jim bus, like we're going to do everything by the book, the way it was done in 1985. Um, you know, sort of mentality and a, a leap into the future. We defended Rob even those first years where there were some, or that first year where there were some questionable moves made, kind of leaning on the fact that, like, perhaps this was Magic Johnson who was driving a lot of this, or, you know, perhaps it was Magic who was catering too much to LeBron or outside influences or his own biases towards certain players in the league. And, Whatever. And then when Magic left and we had the summer where we signed AD and all these, you know, we made a a bunch of signings um, and a quick pivot to your point about once the Kawhi thing sort of fell through, we were able to put together a roster that on paper looked pretty competitive pretty quickly. 
And, you know, yeah, we defended Rob through that. It looked justified when we won the championship. And ever since then, it has been like a slow regression to the mean. Like, they've, since we won that first championship, it's just felt like hunting for the next third star um, scenario that we lost out on with the, you know, when we were spurned by Paul George first and then Kawhi second and, you know, haven't been able to land one in trade. And so it's like, mortgage the entire future to get Russell Westbrook here and build that three-star team that for some reason you wanted. And then the signings last year that didn't really make sense. And then the signings this year that didn't really make sense. I mean, even the signings after we won the championship did not make a ton of sense, right? It's like, you could at least defend those in the sense that like, you know, we traded Danny who looked like he was maybe on the end, his last legs in the finals. Um, to get a guy who was going to give us some scoring uh, option off of the bench, theoretically, he ended up starting actually. And then you, you know, you, you, you can justify the Montrez Harrell thing because that was just an unexpected. I mean, that dude, everyone thought was going to go on like a four-year, sixty million dollar deal, and you have the opportunity to get him for the MLE, and you know, so you maybe you take that shot, right? But every other move on the fringes, like, you know, we had Damian Jones previously, right? And we let him go for a bigger name in Andre Drummond. Well, um, even before that, I, I, I very distinctly remember during that season, even though we were first place in the West, me saying, why did they bring Marc Gasol in if this is how they're going to use him? Yeah. I.e. not actually utilize his skill set. And then also how they're going to treat him by going for the next big name on the market, like Andre Drummond and then phase him out entirely. And then in the playoffs, when you realize, oh, Andre Drummond's not working, try and bring him back and say, save our team. You know, like I already saw the cracks in how the front office operates, which like you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, it's just like everything's a simulation to them, but it's not even like smart simulations. You know, it's just their subjective view of what might work based off of name value. So there's not, I feel like there's not even like this Daryl Morey advanced analytics thing uh, involved because if there was, you would see more creative names on the fringes. And granted, Damian Jones was one of those names, but for them to just see Damian Jones as a stopgap and overlook him for the next big name in Andre Drummond without taking into account fit, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I defended the Andre Drummond thing at the time too, so I can't really say anything. All to say that I think the point you're getting to is even during that second um, season after the championship where all the moves were justifiable, you could start to see the cracks of how Rob Palinka viewed this team in a macro sense, how everybody was sort of just expendable, you know? And when yeah. you're trying to build a championship team, continuity and consistency is the biggest part of that whole equation. Yes. And it just feels like, again, it's just mismatched expectations or I guess, yeah, mismatched expectations. Like, the front office and the coaching staff have so far been very, very vocal about how everybody needs to buy into what they're selling. But there's no flip side, right? It's like like they have no accountability. If this doesn't work, it's because it was the coach's fault or it's because the players didn't buy into their roles or, you know, whatever. It's never going to be... You know, here we are four years into the Polinka regime and we have yet to sign like a legit rotation shooter. You know, it, it will never be like here we are three years post championship, three seasons post championship, and we have yet to address our, you know, 
our need for wing defense after getting rid of Danny Green, Alex Caruso, KCP, and Kyle Kuzma. Like, there, it just like it feels like it's so one sided, and I think that's like the tone deafness of this front office is. They they don't seem to recognize that like that's why Laker fans are frustrated. It's not just mm-hmm. irrational people who want moves for the sake of moves. It's or who just want Russ because he's an he, off the team because he's annoying or they don't like the way he plays or what. It's just that they are saying something that is not being reflected on the court. You know what I mean? Yes. You can say like we are going to hold Russ to the same standards as everyone else, and we're going to bench him, and if he's not playing right. The reality is he's Russell Westbrook, and you're going to ego massage him, and you're going to come in to the training camp under the assumption that he is your starting point guard until someone gives you 150% effort to show you that actually it should be them. It's not It's not going to be an equal playing field, and, and I think that's where the frustration starts building, right? It's like, And that's just human nature because even Patrick yeah. Beverly is like saying, you guys are crazy. This dude's a Hall of Fame point guard or whatever. The right, same guy right. who was, you know, holding his nose and saying, you stink. <laughs> yeah, right, so, I mean, right, it's right. just such a combustible situation. And you fast forward to what Palinka continues to do. I was I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt this offseason, Tommy. And, you know, the first slew of, slew of signings, I was like, okay, this makes sense. But even the Lonnie Walker signing, I was very disappointed by. So I was like, Okay, maybe he's still not perfectly there, but, you know, just the lack of creativity, the lack of moneyballing on the margins, like, do we live in such a silo that we can't see what other teams are doing? Even, like, the big franchises, like, the Brooklyn Nets are like, oh, Utah Watanabe, that guy's useful. The Toronto Raptors, my God, if we're looking at, like, blueprints to copy... How can you ever overcompensate on six, eight guys, which is what the Raptors motto is like, we can never have too much of this. Meanwhile, the Lakers are like, we can never have too much of six, four, six, three combo guards who can overlap with one another. Right. <laughs> you know, right. So, and, and my biggest thing, my last thing I'll say about Palenka is that a good GM again would have had plan C, D, E, F, Z fired up if everything fell through and there was no Russell Westbrook deal to be had. Unless, again, Palinka's plan B all along was just to keep Westbrook and have and hope Ham could work his magic on him. Um, in some senses, Tommy, this additional acquisition of Dennis Schroeder hurts the Lakers' trade leverage because we had both anticipated, like when we first signed, uh, when we first traded for Patrick Beverly, that, oh, there's probably an upcoming trade that's going to happen a day later. It never happened. Dennis Schroeder, a couple days have already passed. It doesn't seem like there is an impending trade. And because of that, in some senses, the Lakers have hurt their trade leverage because they didn't have anything lined up because teams will look at our eight guards, Tommy, and know how desperate we are to get a deal done because carrying that many guards into the season makes no functional sense. It it makes no sense. Here we are. Yeah, and that's why it's like you you see this stuff and like you just assume... You know, <laughs> you just assume that, like, they must have something, like, agreed in principle with somebody, right? And then the days pass and pass and pass, and it's like, no, they don't. And then the days pass and pass and pass, and it's like, actually, they view six one Patrick Beverly as a wing. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't care. At this point, it's like, that's so embarrassing if that's actually how they view him. Um, yeah. But... I don't care what the reports say. I just, like, is Russ traded or not traded? And, like, that's another weird thing, right? It's like now Palinka and Ham have set this, like, press conference for Wednesday, which is conveniently the day before 
LeBron's camp, mini camp starts, right? So it's like they set it for that day, presumably, because, you know, they know at that point the roster is what it is. What are they going to say, right? I know we've been joking, but, like, how are they – like, Darwin Darwin Ham is just going to talk about how tough his life has been. And I don't want to minimize this, by the way. (laughs) But, like, as though that's, like, some reason why this is not going to be that hard for him, which is just, like, not – that's just like coach speak, right? And like both and of them are going to have the alchemist open in front of them or something. Both of them are going to have the alchemist open. Rob is going to be like pulling quotes from whatever random New York Times bestseller cover quote, you know, back cover <laughs> quote he could find. And it's just like, it's it feels so silly. And you're right. I mean, it's, forget about even the next couple of days trying to get a trade done. Like, going into the season, like getting a trade done, like, you know, you know that if you do trade Russ, like, and you want that option, it's going to require multiple guys coming back. No team in the NBA is trading you multiple wings for uh, a point guard they don't really want. So, like, you're probably going to also get guards back in a rust trade, and the fact that you have seven guards, like, it it just, like, it adds... it sort of makes you question, like, what was the point of all these off-season signing? Like, why did we sign it's just Troy talent. It's just yeah, talent yeah. in a vacuum with without any regard to fit. Yeah, and it's like, that's the problem when arguing with, with uh, or discussing, I guess I should say, this this sort of stuff with fans generally. Like, I don't have a problem with, except for maybe Lonnie Walker, which even that has some upside play. Like, in a vacuum, I don't have a problem with any of our signings. They were all minimum signings. Damian Jones, Thomas Bryant, good upside. Toscano Anderson, Troy Brown Jr., you know, they could play some defense potentially. Like They're literally the, all great value because they're minimum signings. Yeah, you know? so Dennis like, Schroeder, I think, you know, solid minimum contract is certainly better than, like, filling your team with DeAndre Jordan, Wayne Ellington, you know, Kent Bazemore, Trevor Ariza. Like, at least on paper, it seems like you you address some problems from last year, you know, not, not going back to Avery Bradley and going to Dennis Schroeder. To me, I take that in a vacuum as a, as a win, frankly, a fairly big win. And, and so like that, that's fine. It's all in a vacuum, but the roster, when you put all 14 names down on, on the page, it still doesn't make any sense, dude. So I don't know. I don't know how they're going to like say that, you know, Rob very publicly came out and said, these are the things we need to address. And if we don't address them, you know, I'm the one who is accountable for that. How is he going to address the fact that we have no shooting? How is he going to address the fact that we have no wings? I mean, hopefully there are people, you know, kind of with balls out there, like who are going to have, you know, the, you know, the the confidence to just straight up call him out in this press conference and be like, you have six, you have nine out of 14 guys who are six, six and under. So I, how can you say with a straight face that you think you have enough wings? You only have two guys on this roster or maybe even one, um, a guy on this roster who has shown like he can somewhat consistently hit high thirties or 40% from three. And he's not even a volume shooter, by the way, in Beverly. So like, how are you going to say that you've addressed the shooting problems? Like, I hope that those are the types of things that get asked. I have the answer. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. So if you remember during our first year championship, we relied on a second year player undrafted in Alex Caruso, and he ended up being a pivotal part to our championship run and started the last game of the NBA finals. And this year we have unproven guys like Wenyan Gabriel and Cole Swider 
both also undrafted, and we are hoping that they will step up to the challenge and give us that shooting as well as that height and length that we've been wanting. That's how I see this front office wrapping their heads around things. Like, oh yeah, we have Cole Swider, and for some reason they're infatuated with this Wenyan Gabriel signing, which leads me to believe that Wenyan Gabriel was Rob Palinka's like move, and he wants to hold dearly onto it because <laughs> I don't know why Wenyan Gabriel's on here. I mean, he's solid, and given the context of our team, he's almost needed and necessary. But to me, that's what he's going to say in response to that question. Right. Um All right, really quickly, let's talk about Dennis Schroeder. He just turned 29 on September 15th. He apparently had offers from the Toronto Raptors and the Phoenix Suns, but he chose us for some reason. His his agent said he wants redemption from his first go-around with the Lakers and wants to make things right. Look, for as much as I was annoyed with Dennis Schroeder and did not like his cocky attitude, at the end of the day, look, it's good that players still want to become Lakers because there's not a lot of them left out there. So good on Dennis Schroeder. Um... And again, apparently the Lakers told him and his agent that there would be plenty of minutes to go around. Read into that how you will. Um, He said he's been talking to the Lakers for the last three months and knew he'd be back. He just wanted to take his time and, I don't know, focus on the tournament and see if there were other, I guess, larger contracts available. He was named to the all-tournament team of this summer's FIBA Eurobasket tournament, along with Giannis, Rudy Gobert, Willie Hernan Gomez, and Lorenzo Brown. He led Germany to the bronze medal, the first medal for the German national team since 2005, so pretty big feat and accomplishment. He actually beat Giannis and the Greece team in the quarterfinals to get to that point. Um, And through eight games, Schroeder averaged 22.7 assists, 1.1 steals on 45% from the field, 32% from three, hitting 2.2 a game. But that 32% from three obviously shows you that he's still not an adequate and reliable three-point shooter. But regardless, those are really good averages during this um, FIBA Eurobasket tournament. Last year with the Celtics, he averaged 14.4 points, 4.2 assists, 3.3 rebounds on 44% from the field. 35% from three, 84% from the line. So solid Dennis Schroeder-like numbers. Um, Although it is important to say that once the Celtics traded him to the Rockets, that's when the Celtics really took off. Because if you remember last season, the Celtics actually started off the season as a 500 middling team, right? But I'm 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 not saying that that was due to Dennis Schroeder's fault, but just again that his fit is always going to be a topic of conversation in any team that he goes to at this point because he is a ball dominant guard who's most effective when he has free reign of the offense and that is exactly what he had with the German national team right not what he's going to have on the Lakers otherwise something went terribly wrong even though it's already wrong right now Um, with regards to the positives obviously Dennis Schroeder his style of play on defense uh, syncs up really well with uh, Darvin Ham's philosophy of having really scrappy um Hound, uh, in your face, hounding, harassing sort of perimeter guards. And he obviously also complements Patrick Beverly's style of ball hawking defense, um, even though, and it's good because Patrick Beverly is the more systematically, functionally, fundamentally sound defender that Dennis Schroeder is. But to have that additional point of attack ball hawk like Dennis Schroeder, who will, you know, dive on the floor for loose balls and really just at the end of the day annoy primary initiators like Damian Lillard and Steph Curry. Um, In conjunction with Pat Beverly, I think that's a positive thing. Um, And at the end of the day, Ham will have at least two guards who will bring the effort, play up on guys, and drum up the defensive intensity of the entire team. And that's something we were sorely lacking last season. Um, 
He was also on a really good defensive team in the Lakers, and we were the number one team in the West for the first half of the 2020-21 Lakers season, and he obviously played a role in that. Outside of that, ball handling and shot creation, he's ball handling and shot creation insurance. Pat Bev hasn't been that durable a player over the last few years, so having Schroeder there makes sure we don't skip too much of a beat if he goes down for a period of time, or if Kendrick Nunn is still not up to speed with his injury, then Dennis Schroeder is there to fill in the gaps. And um, and yeah, this obviously also applies if guys are shipped out, Westbrook, Nunn, Reeves, or whatever, and we just need that additional ball handling um, insurance. Lastly, my last positive is he's humbled now. He's fighting for his NBA career. He's, is he willing to do the little things now? Um, we hope so. He's a year removed from fumbling the bag and realizing that he's not really a hot commodity around the league. He had to take the taxpayer mid-level with the Celtics last season, and then they unceremoniously traded him to the Rockets. And after he was traded, you know, that's when the Celtics became a cohesive championship contending team, like I just mentioned. And then fast forward to this summer where... I mean, it's surprising. He literally didn't have a single deal from any team till now, and it's for the minimum. So keeping all that into, in mind, um, this should be the hungriest, most well-behaved, less egotistical version of Schroeder that we'll see, hopefully. So anything else to add about, you know, just Schroeder's game in a vacuum and, you know, in the best case scenario and also in the scenario where this roster makes more functional sense once guys are shipped out, what do you like about the signing? Yeah, for a minimum level guy... Um, Schroeder, it just creates a situation where, like you kind of alluded to, over a 48-minute game, we have a high amount of peskiness on the perimeter that I think we were sorely, sorely lacking last year. You know, if you look at our main rotation guards that played last year, early in the season, Kent Bazemore couldn't stay in front of anybody. Malik Monk was not known for his defense. Avery Bradley was more activity than actual results, and he was undersized. Um, Russ obviously was one of the worst perimeter defenders in the league. So adding Schroeder to a backcourt that already includes Patrick Beverly, I think is like a really interesting move because you have that 48 minutes of somebody being back there causing havoc. And you throw Reeves into the mix, who I think can also give you some of that. And you're just going to make life a little bit harder for, you know, teams over the course of an 82 game season. I also like the fact that, you know, Schroeder is who he is and he sort of requires the ball to be effective and he needs things sort of running through him a little bit um, to make himself a useful player in NBA games. And, you know, notwithstanding all of that though, he is still a guy who can come in on any given night off the bench and give you 15 points. You know what I mean? Like he is, Mm -hmm. He's an effective offensive player and the biggest, you know, issue that sort of plagued his first tenure with us was the looming contract extension and the fact that he thought he was an NBA starter who deserved to start and deserved starter minutes and deserved everything that came along with that and was like the third, not just like player on the, like third best player on the team, but like an all-star caliber player. Um, and I think that in the last, you know, he's been humbled, (laughs) I guess is how I'll, I'll put it. Um, and so like when you remove that from the equation, he actually was like pretty solid for us again. Like, you know, he choked a bit in the playoffs and there were games where we really needed him. And most notably, you know, one of those games where 80 was hurt and he 
literally scored zero and we probably would have won the game had he scored like 10 points even. Um, you know, like you take sort of that stuff gets put more into context of now he's a minimum player and that stuff becomes a lot less of a problem than it was when he was last with us. And so if you're only taking the positives of how he looked during the season for us and how he competed and, you know, the fact that he was able to come in and score when we needed to take some of the offensive load off of LeBron and AD while still giving you, you know, some defensive grittiness and, and, uh, and, and things of that nature. Like it's in a vacuum, like I said earlier, like no problem with the signing. It makes a ton of sense. It's like, I think a great value signing. Cause even last year he got the MLE right from the Celtics. So mm-hmm. This year to get him for the minimum, I think, is pretty good. And um and yeah, I overall not too much bad to say about this signing in a vacuum. It just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, and you have some leftover continuity continuity with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I guess. He's played with Damian Jones not only on the Lakers, but with the Atlanta Hawks as well. I think he was coached by Darvin Ham on the Hawks too. He was. Darvin Ham was an assistant coach, right? So there are some tidbits and nuggets of cohesion there that you can maybe hang on to. But again, does that really matter when the Westbrook cloud looms over everything, right? And I know people have mentioned that he does have continuity and cohesion with Russell Westbrook as well during their time in OKC, right? But I do want to remind everybody that he was Westbrook's primary backup. And in this situation, it's not only Russell Westbrook will have to worry about it. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kendrick Nunn, to a lesser extent, Patrick Beverly, Lonnie Walker likes to have the ball, right? So we just get into this whole situation of everything we talked about during the first like half hour to an hour of this episode where you have multiple guys with overlapping skill sets and not exactly the one skill set that you need consistently, which is shooting, right? Because Schroeder is not an off-ball player, you know? Patrick right. Beverly is probably our best off-ball player. Austin Reeves may be on the road to being that guy, but... Schroeder is a situational guy who, if all these injuries happen, if these trades happen, then yes, you may be able to extract the best out of him. And you're just hoping in limited minutes, him being humbled, um, he can at least continue to provide defensive intensity. But offensively, it's just going to look like a cluster F. Um, But yeah, with that said, (laughs) that'll do it for this very long episode where we probably talk too much about Rob Palenka and the front office, but they are the decision makers and they are why we're at where we're currently at. Maybe that changes in the next two days. Maybe that changes before training camp. But all that to say, stay tuned and watch out for that next 6'3 guy looming in the shadows or something. I don't know. All right, with that said, we will catch you guys next time. Tommy, I'll see you later. Peace. Laters. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live 
bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.